0: Let's turn to our Bible, Psalms chapter number 15 tonight, Psalms chapter number 15. And uh, I want to just remind you again to be sure and sign up for Vacation Bible School. I don't know about you, but it's felt like VBS has been just on top of us. I mean, it's like we've just blinked and then all of a sudden it's there. And uh, so it's easy to imagine uh, that we've got all this time. I told Brother Kerry last night, I said, you know, we we need to have a meeting this upcoming Sunday. I said, this Sunday is the Sunday before the Sunday, amen? I mean, it, it's, it's or this Sunday is the Sunday before, I guess we would say. Uh Pretty soon we're going to be... uh Starting vacation Bible school. So this was sort of a, a last opportunity. So I encourage you, don't put it off. Go ahead and sign up for that. Uh, be sure that your name is on that list and that way we can, uh, contact you and get all that took care of. Psalms chapter number 15. And I'd like to begin reading verse number one. We'll read down to the end of the chapter, only five short verses. I want to give you what I believe to be is some practical truth tonight. I hope be a help to you. Psalms chapter 15, verse number one. The Bible says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in my holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time that you've given us. I pray that you'd take your word, Lord. It's, it's holy. It's inspired. It's inerrant, Lord. It's potent and powerful and pure and perfect. Lord, it's what we need tonight. Help us not just approach it as, as just some uh, academic work or some expression of art or creativity, but Lord, help us to approach it as it is in truth, the very words of God. And may we allow it to have entrance into our hearts and minds. May it instruct us, may it encourage us, may it be engrafted unto us, and we'll be sure to thank you for what we gain and, and for what takes place. Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in Christ's name, amen. I want you to notice with me verse number one and then the end of verse number two. And I'll announce to you both my title and sort of the, the thesis for the message tonight. David writing, asks the Lord this question, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? And then he says, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Now, both of these references are references to the house of God. At that time in the Old Testament, in David's life, the house of God was the tabernacle. The tabernacle, of course, was a tent, but it was not just any tent. It was the very place of the presence of God, of God's meeting with His people, and of the dispensing of the work and ministry of the Old Testament priesthood. That's where they went to worship. It's where they went so that their relationship with God uh, could be maintained in a right condition. Uh, we don't, until we get to the New Testament, we don't really see this uh, you know, uh, concept of a synagogue. Uh, it's not to suggest that there were not Levites teaching in various cities in the Old Testament as it was instructed under the law. But the primary and preeminent place of worship and of meeting with God in Israel was the tabernacle. It was the house of God, or it was God's dwelling place on this earth. He sort of reinforces this idea at the second question he asks, who shall dwell in thy Holy Hill. And while certainly we could make application for both questions to heaven and to the presence of God in a spiritual sense, I believe with all my heart that David has in mind the very practical, real, geographical place of Jerusalem, the resting place of the tabernacle at that time. David, of course, lived in Jerusalem. He was the king over Israel. And probably uh, many times in his life, he had seen people coming and going to the various days of feast and, and of celebration and of worship uh, there to the tabernacle. He had probably watched hundreds of thousands, millions of people, maybe, as they went back and forth. And you know, no doubt he would have noticed not just who showed up, but who didn't show up. And he no doubt would have noticed not just those that came this year, but those that came to the next feast. And then if he's like most people, he probably didn't just notice those that were at this feast and then came to that feast. He probably noticed those that came to this feast, but didn't show up for that next feast. And so David seems to be ruminating on the idea of the people that quit on the house of God or quit going to the place of worship. He lists a group of people and he says that the people that do these things in verse five, he says they shall never be moved. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he means they'll never be moved from their place of faithfulness to the house of God. When I began to read this chapter and consider the things that David lists, this thought occurred to me. and I want to preach to you on this tonight. Who exactly quits on church? Now, you're going to say, well, preacher, we're here on Wednesday night. I mean, if ever there's a group of people uh, that are not going to quit on church, it's going to be the Wednesday night crowd. And I'd love to say amen to that, but I've seen too many Wednesday night churchgoers quit the house of God. I've seen too many people that were at one time deeply committed and deeply faithful to the house of God that quit going to the house of God. And you know, uh, it's true that a great many of them did not quit just from three services a week down to nothing. But pretty soon you saw them only sporadically and then only occasionally and then only rarely. But the truth of the matter is it's just as likely that someone that is faithful enough even to be here on a Wednesday night could find themselves out of church one day. Now, let me say before I get into the message that I think the people that David has in mind or in as much as we apply it to the day that we're living in, these are not necessarily people that leave one sound church to join another sound church. He said, what do you mean, preacher? Well, there are times God moves people in life. There's times that people move where they live. There's times that God leads them in different directions and in different places. You know, one of the truths I'm convinced of concerning New Testament Christianity is that it is the will of God for every saved individual to be a member of a sound local New Testament church. Church is not uh, just a, a, an occasional experience. Church is not just a, sort of a tangential element of Bible Christianity. It's fundamental to it. It's the very heartbeat of it. And you know, uh, oftentimes I'll hear people quote the book of Matthew, when Christ says, "Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be." And oftentimes people use that to lay a, a lack of emphasis on the local church. But I think they're I think they're reading it wrong. I don't think the Lord is saying you don't need a crowd to have church. I think it's certainly true. God can meet with small churches and small groups of people. But here is what I think Jesus is saying. He's saying if a person gets saved and carries out the Great Commission, which is the will of God for every single believer to go out and win somebody to Christ, even if they're in the middle of the Amazonian wilderness, even in they're in, their in the middle of the deepest, uh, the, the uh, absolute most remote element of the Congo, if they go out and win someone to Christ, they then have in germ form the basis for a new Testament church. In other words, God's so serious about us being members of a church that he says no matter what uh, size or, or, or no matter what the sort of external vestiges of it might be, if two saved individuals that are saved by the grace of God and are serious about serving me and living for me, I will begin with them a work that will then grow unto my glory. So in other words, we're not saying that this is everyone's reason for leaving a church. And we're certainly not saying that there aren't times that God doesn't lead people from one church to another church. But these are sort of the groups of people that I think David has in mind. I would say, number one, the people he's describing or the people that he is is warning, cautioning us against becoming the people that quit on church. These are people that leave church altogether. And we've all known people in our life that you talk to and they can tell you story after story of when they used to go to church. And the question has to be asked, well, what happened? What happened in their life? How did their priorities change? How did their devotion change? How did their behavior and habits change such that for years on end, they found it to be paramount to their spiritual health to be in the house of God? And then all of a sudden they wake up and say, nope, I no longer need the house of God. There's a second group of people that I have in mind in the message tonight. And that's people that leave a sound church to attend a soft or unsound church. It's never the will of God for you to degrade in your spiritual development. And there's always going to be people that want to call compromise, consecration. There's always going to be people that want to call carnality, uh, tolerance. And there's always going to be people that want to suggest that loosening our standards is somehow a noble thing. And they'll do all kinds of word gymnastics and psychological exercises to try to condition you into believing that they've done a noble and good thing and it's poor, pitiful you that are ensnared in your narrow mind and in your boxed-in worldview. But it's never the will of God that we loosen our walk with the Lord. It's always the will of God that we draw closer to him. I'll tell you the honest truth. And, and I really I prayed that the Lord would help me tonight because I, I'm not mad at nobody. Amen. I, I didn't want this message to be indignant. I wanted it to be informative and instructive. And so here's what I want to do. I want you to notice five groups of people that quit on church. And the way we're going to notice them is by looking at the opposite or what is implied by the positive truth that David sets forth. Now this isn't every; it's not an exhaustive list. I've known people that got out of church for all kinds of silly reasons. Uh, Some things that I think God uh, just assumes were uh, too smart to ever fall prey to and they're not necessarily cataloged in such clarity in God's word. But I do think we have five major categories or groups of people that I just be honest, if you're one of these people, you're probably not going to stay in church long. You're probably not going to go to church very long. You're going to be moved. You're going to quit. You're going uh, to give up on, on public worship or corporate worship or worship as regards the New Testament church. So I want you to notice them with me tonight and then we'll be done. Look at verse number two with me. David says, I've noticed these types of people, they stay in church. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Now, let's look at the photo negative of that. If David says people that do these three things, that their walk is right and their works are right and their witness is right, those people stay in church, then we could say this, that the opposite, those are the people that don't hang in church very long. You say, preacher, who would that be? Well, I'd say, number one, tonight, corrupt people don't stay in church very long. People that have a problem with with biblical truth don't stay in church very long. People that are unwilling to submit their life to the authority of God's word They don't stay in church very long. Now, why is that? Well, I think these people that he has in mind, or we might say the photo negative of those people, these corrupt individuals, they are people, number one, whose walk is disobedient. He says the people that stay in church, they walk uprightly. So what about the people that don't stay in church? Well, often they walk disobediently. I'll tell you that in my experience, how short it may be, I've noticed this, that people that begin to live wrong, it's not long they'll quit on church. Now, why is that? Well, because disobedient people have a problem with the preaching of God's word. It is designed and constructed that it might convict you and convict me when the preaching of the Word of God is is going on. And if we are unwilling to yield and submit to the authority of God's Word, if we are so addicted to our disobedience, sooner or later it will reach a place of critical mass and we will have to choose. doesn't matter how self-loathing a person may be. uh, People can't handle preaching that's strong and straight if they're not going to live Right? Uh, They'll find some way to get out from it and some way to get away from it. Uh, It's been interesting in, in in my life and in my ministry watching men that at one time stood for truth and stood for righteousness that have compromised on that position and have instead just sort of yielded to this flow of cultural Christianity. And there's they've always got a cheering squad. They've always got a group of people that want to make it seem like it was very difficult and very noble and very sacrificial and very arduous for them to make that compromise. Here's the truth of the matter. Hey, listen, even if nobody claps for you when you compromise, your flesh will clap for you and make you feel better. What does preaching do? It stands in opposition to that. I would say this, their walk is disobedient. Then he says this, here's the people I've noticed stay in church, people that work righteousness. In other words, their walk is disobedient. That's why they don't stay in the house of God. But then number two, people whose works are degenerate. If you allow sin into your life, it will pull you away from the house of God. You will be bothered being around people who are living right. I've experienced this in my own life. I've been on both sides of it. I've been the person that's being withdrawn from, and I've been the person that's withdrawn from those whose very testimony convicted me because I was working unrighteousness. And as a saved individual, I knew it was unrighteous. I knew it was wrong. And even if I didn't have a preacher screaming in my face, even if I wasn't living in public disobedience in such a way that people could see and people would know, I in my own heart knew that I was not living right and it bothered me to be around people who were living right. You'll probably see this happen in your own life if you live right. You'll have, you'll, it might be kids, it might be siblings, it might be parents, it might be friends, it might be coworkers, but if you get serious about Jesus Christ, that has a, that has a, a culling effect in a person's life. There'll be people that draw closer and there'll be people that drift further. Uh, Why is that? Because their own works are bearing witness against them. So these corrupt people whose walk is disobedient, whose works are degenerate. But then notice this. David said, here's the people that I know to stay in church. People that speaketh truth in his heart. Those that are honest with themselves they stay in church. Now, you and I living in the New Testament day, we not only have our conscience that convicts us, but we also have the Spirit of God that indwells us and convicts us. And I think that very often because of the inadequacy of conscience to restrain human behavior, and conscience is inadequate. That's why all these good old boys that are just doing their best ain't doing very good. Amen. Amen. Uh, Because just uh, trusting your gut, your instinct and being a good person, none of that has the ability to restrain human disobedience and rebellion and waywardness and frowardness. Only the Spirit of God has that capability. But in the Old Testament, though, it may have been conscience. And in the New Testament is both conscience and the presence of the Spirit of God and his work in our life. I would say this. David said, you know, the people that stay in church are the people who, who are honest with God. He said, you know, the people that quit on church, people whose witness is despised. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, when you do wrong, when you sin and your conscience and the Spirit of God convicts you about that. If you despise that witness and that testimony and you are unwilling to yield to it and to take heed to it, it won't be long you'll get out of church. I, I, I'm just gonna be straight with you, alright? Why would we even go to church if we're not gonna expect to hear from God and if we're not gonna listen when He speaks? I, I mean, I'll just, I'll be honest with you. It's a waste of time if we're not gonna listen to the Lord. This is just some weird cultural ritual if all we're doing is coming and and, and beating on each other with biblical truth without the anticipation and intention to yield to it and to obey it and to allow it entrance into our life. So you know what will happen eventually? People that grieve the Holy Spirit through disobedience will get to the place they don't feel nothing when they come to church. and they'll say, well, it's dead, well, God's not moving, well, God's not working. Here's the funny thing about it, man. I mean, listen, the the fire begets fire. And if if you are living in obedience to God and letting God work in your heart and stir your heart and stir your life, uh, iron sharpeneth iron, that's going to have an influence on the people around you. By the same token, if we stub up and if if we grieve the Holy Spirit and if we quench His work in our life and we practice dead Christianity in front of other Christians, then as their Christianity dies, it won't look abnormal to them. It won't bother them. It won't convict them. And so, listen. The same way that devotion begets devotion, deadness begets de- uh, deadness. There's churches all over. We could list some of them by name that at one time God was stirring and moving in, and today they are cold and. And dead and unmovable. What happened? Well, people began to yield to hypocrisy. They just put the mask on and began to play the role. And they just simply began to to uh, try to uh, portray something without actually being something. When the Spirit of God would deal with them, would convict them, would stir them, they would stifle him, they would uh, grieve him, they would quench him, they would ignore him, they would dismiss him, they would despise him. And so pretty soon, hey, listen, they'd go to the house of God. They wouldn't feel nothing. They wouldn't feel nothing good and they wouldn't feel nothing bad. They're just dead on the inside. And that's what's happened to a lot of Christians. i, I got to be honest with you. Listen, if, if, if you want to feel Him, uh, you're going to have to take the good with the bad. You listening? You're going to have to take the good with the bad. If you want the Spirit of God to have liberty to move in a meaningful way in your life, then you're going to have to take that when He's comforting you and when He's convicting you when he's strengthening you and when he's stirring you. And here's something David observed. People that are unwilling to listen to God and to allow him to work in their life, they don't stay in the house of God very long. So I would say, number one, corrupt people. Then notice number two. Look at verse three with me. The Bible says this. Here's another group of people. Those that stay in the house of God and the, the, the photo negative are those that, that don't. He says, he that backbiteth not With his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. So in other words, we could say this, the opposite of that. If we're trying to identify what kind of people, they don't hang in church very long. It's not just corrupt people. I'd say this, it's critical people. Critical people don't stay in church very long. They always find something to criticize. You know, funny old thing about it, critical people always criticize things like they're the first person to ever notice there's anything to criticize. Let me just let you in on a little secret. All right. We all see things to criticize. I don't care who you are. We all see things about my life, about your life, about others lives that we could criticize. And yet there's some people that are critical people and some people that are not. What's the difference? Well, it's not that some people are just too stupid to find anything to criticize. It's that they've made up their mind that they're not going to be a critical person. And so what do we see? Well, notice two things. Notice, number one, the criticism they practice. David said those people that backbite with their tongue and do evil to their neighbor, they don't, they don't hang around very long. To backbite, to harm, or to, to bite someone from behind them, to, to devour them, to consume them. That about killed the church at Galatia. Paul warns about them biting and, and devouring one another and warned lest they be consumed of one another. And I'll be honest, every, every day in our life we must make a deliberate decision that we're going to choose to rejoice instead of rail against. That we're going to choose to bless the Lord instead of complaining. Uh, understand that criticism, and and we all should be critical thinkers, and certainly there is a sense in which criticism, in as much as it relates to rational and open thought, is something that is to be lauded. But the description here is not someone that just has a judicial spirit. The, The image is someone that looks at someone and seeks to harm and hurt them with what they say. He says this, when you do that, you do evil to your neighbor. The things we say matter. (laughs) I in my most critical moments of life, I underestimate the impact my words have. I'm not talking about you. Don't get all tied on me tonight. I'm talking about me. All right. You don't never do this, but I do this sometimes. In my most critical moments, I underestimate the weight that my words can have. I will tell you that me personally, there have been times that a few words at a wrong time have placed seemingly mountains of burdens on my shoulders. And by the same token, a few words said at the right time have sometimes lifted what seemed an unimaginable weight that was upon me. Our words have a meaningful impact. He talks about the criticism they practice. Then number two, he talks about the criticism they promote. This is interesting language. Nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. The image is of someone that picks up something that has been left behind of another person. In other words, they did not originate the criticism. But when they walked along and found it laying there, they picked it up and carried it a little further. You know, one of the best things you can do for your church family, for your own spiritual development, for your family, for everyone. You want know, of the best things that you can do? Let criticism die with you. Let it die with you. Funny thing about it, when people are critical, they always want to seek out an audience because they no fun to be critical on your own. You always got to find people to be critical to, right? You, knew, you, you, need, you need two things to be critical, something to be critical about and some, someone to be critical to. And so you always have to find someone. And when we find ourselves being the, the sort of, of trash can of people's criticism, the, the dispensary of, of, of people's negativity and of their backbiting, the best thing we can do is say, I'm not going to pick that reproach up and carry it any further. I'm not going to practice it. I'm not going to promote it. I'm not going to promulgate it. I'm not going to participate in it. It's going to die with me. Most critical people, because at the end of the day, most people that are critical, this isn't true of everyone, but most people that are critical, at the end of the day, they don't really intend on destroying lives through their criticism. They viewed it, as I said a moment ago, as being a slight thing, an unimportant thing, simply a a, a venting of of their frustrations and their discouragement, whatever it might be. And so often they don't view it as something that could destroy lives. And so very often, whenever you refuse to take up that criticism with them, it smites their heart and causes them to stop and think twice about what they're doing. I'll tell you what's no fun criticizing somebody to somebody that don't want to criticize with you. You ever tried to do it? It's terrible. Uh, You ever ever tried to gossip with somebody that don't want to gossip? It's awful. Makes you feel terrible. Try to criticize somebody with somebody that don't want to criticize people. It's awful. It's terrible. What's the matter with people, you know? And uh, so here's what you can do. You can make up your mind that you're not going to be the source of criticism. I promise you this, whatever is wrong, there's plenty of people to notice it and there's plenty of people to say something about it. There's no shortage of criticism. Anywhere where there's people, there's criticism. You know what there's a short supply of? Encouragement. And I'll tell you this, people that are critical, you'll always find something to criticize. Don't matter where it is, don't matter what it is. I've known people that if you gave them a hundred dollar bill, it would not be crisp enough. There will always be something to criticize. So the question is not... Is there something to criticize? It's am I going to be a critical person or not? And you say, well, preacher, it's a small thing. No, it's not a small thing. Critical people eventually get out of church. Because eventually all they can see are the things that annoy them. You listening? All they can see are the things that annoy them. I could give names of people that have gone to this church in years past. Some of them that you'd know that that's what happened with them. They let their critical spirit get to the place. They got bit by the bitter bug and everything was terrible and everything was awful. The same things that they had blessed the Lord over were still present there, but they couldn't see them anymore. That critical spirit had invaded their mind and had sucked up the oxygen in their lives such that they could not function without constantly seeing something that annoyed them. Say, preacher, what was the problem with them? Them. Them. Say, well, preacher, are you saying that their criticisms were unfounded? No, not necessarily. Preacher, are you saying that they were lying? No, not necessarily. I'm saying this. There's people that go to imperfect churches filled with imperfect people for the entirety of their imperfect lives. How do they accomplish that? Because if you're looking for a perfect church, you ain't going to find it. Perfect preacher, you ain't going to find it. Perfect church people, you ain't going to find them. So what makes the difference? Well, the difference is in willing yourself, determining yourself to not be a critical person. So I would say corrupt people. I'd say critical people. Then look at verse 4. The Bible says this, in whose eyes. Now, he's talking about the person that stays in church. He says, this is what I've noticed about this person. For them, it's in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. In other words, he has the right biblical value system. He loves people that love the Lord, and he loathes people that loathe the Lord. So what does that tell us about the photo negative? Preacher, who's the kind of people that get out of church? Well, let me give you a third. Carnal people don't stay in church very long. People that don't love the things that God loves, they don't stay in church very long. People that don't hate the things God hates, they don't stay in church very very long. Now, why is that? Well, notice there's two reasons here. Number one, it's because they connect with the wrong people. Look what he says. In whose eyes a vile person is contempt." In other words, a vile person is someone that is despised, is condemned, is avoided, is treated like the scourge. In other words, he stays away from a vile person. So the people that don't come to the house of God, they don't stay away from a vile person. In fact, they connect with that person. You know, one of the reasons it's so important that we have a biblical value system is because our behavior in life will be very much determined by what we value and don't value. And if we value the wrong things, we will find ourselves sympathetic with people that are dangerous and destructive. Can I tell you something about church? It's filled with all kinds of people. Some of them are holy people. Some of them are wicked people. Some of them are spiritual people. Some of them are carnal people. I like to believe that the house of God is a very safe place. And certainly it's more safe than probably almost any other place you could walk into on God's green earth. But it's still full of people. And as such, did you know that even in the house of God, there's people that can do you harm? Even in the house of God, there's people that can wreck your life. Even in the house of God, there's people that can degrade your spiritual walk. And part of your responsibility while we ought to be warm and open and welcome and, and, and we ought to be kind to everyone, that does not mean that we ought to allow entrance into our life for every person that walks through the door. The problem with carnal people is they seek out or identify with people that don't value the things of God. By the way, this is how churches turn into social clubs. They get a whole group of people in there that aren't there to have church. They're there for social connection. And pretty soon they find that, Preaching is an impediment to the growing of their social club. They find that, that that sacred music, hallowed music, is an impediment to the growth of their social club. Uh, that, they find that, uh, that uh, serving God and laboring for the Lord is an impediment to the growth of their social club. And so pretty soon after a few generations, they've exported and excised all that from the house of God. And all they've got left is coffee bars and bad music. What happened? They didn't value the right things. They didn't value the right things. The, the trouble is, listen, if you're a carnal person, if you don't value spiritual things, that's what we mean by carnal. Someone that views and values things in an unbiblical manner. A carnal person, they connect with the wrong people. But then notice this. (laughs) David said, here's the people stay in church, people that honor them that fear the Lord. Now, that means the people that don't stay in church, the people that are moved, are people that don't honor them that fear the Lord. So they not only connect with the wrong people, they, they make the wrong connections, but they also condemn the wrong people. In other words, people that are actually trying to live righteous, live right, live holy, they find themselves in constant disagreement with. Now, listen, we're all people. I I am. I don't know about you. In current year, we're not allowed to assume anything. All right. You may identify as a strawberry or something. I don't know. Assuming we're all people, right? Then um, (laughs) anywhere where there's people, there's going to be disagreements over things. Not every disagreement you have with somebody is righteous or holy. Not every disagreement you or I have with someone is some great breach upon biblical principles. There are times human beings just simply disagree about things. But when we find ourselves at odds over biblical truth, then we've gotten the heart and, and, and something that exposes something about our value system. I'll tell you this. Uh, if we are carnal, it won't take long before people doing right and living right will begin to run into and bump into our standards and our connections and our relationships. It's part of the reason, and thankfully we've not had this, I don't think, in years. I don't feel like we have in years. But it's part of the reason churches, so many times when they have a split, they'll have an exodus. Isn't that interesting that, that 30% of a church could all get outraged at the same moment over the same thing? Uh, that same thirty percent of people couldn't agree on what color carpet to put in the church, but all of a sudden thirty uh, percent of people they just all decided at once well what happened? Well oftentimes it's that those people were connected. And it's that well, if brother so and so gets upset, I need to be upset because brother so and so's upset. Like we're like like you're their mama, amen. <laughs> Like you got to have their back or something, like we're on a playground. And so this person goes, and because this person goes, that person goes, that person goes, and that person goes, and that person goes. and that What happened? They got connected up with the wrong people. And now all of a sudden they found that their social relationships have placed a pressure and a, an, an expectation upon them uh, that is not biblical. So carnal people, carnal people, I need to hurry. I said I was going to preach quick tonight. I didn't tell you that because I knew you wouldn't believe it, but I told me that. Look at the end of verse 4. <laughs> The Bible says this, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. So David says, here's the people I've noticed stay in church. People that when they give their word about something, they'll keep it, even if it hurts them to do it. Now, what does that say about the people that don't hang around in church very long? What, what, what are those types of people? I would say this, they are compromising people. People that give their word about something. And then once the, the situation changes, they likewise change with it. In other words, notice this, notice the compromise that moves them. The description is of somebody that has made a commitment or a pledge to something And then all of a sudden, either because they were unaware or had not thought it out fully or because the circumstances changed, now keeping their word is going to do some great measure of harm for them. So here's what they do. They begin to make excuses as to why their word really was not that important in the first place. Funny thing about it, when you start making excuses for your words of why they didn't mean anything, it won't take long, they won't mean anything. And so they begin to make excuses as to why they don't have to keep Their word. Why? Because they're afraid of whatever painful outcome might result from it. They're bothered at the notion that they might experience some discomfort. You say, well, preacher, there's all kinds of people at compromise, and I don't really see how this would lead someone to get out of church. Here's why. It's not an ending point. It's a beginning point. They have established a principle in their life that they are willing to go back on their personal principles if it somehow smooths the way for them. In other words, notice not just the compromise that moves them, but notice the convenience that masters them. They've said, I know I said this, but it's not convenient anymore. So I'm not going to do this. Why? Well, it's not convenient anymore. You have now made convenience the prevailing principle of your life. Welcome to Amazon Prime. Convenience has become the prevailing principle of your life. Do what is convenient. Well, you're going to find there's all kinds of inconvenient things about being a member of a New Testament church. It's inconvenient to get up and come to church on Sunday. A lot of times you'd rather go to the lake. A lot of times you'd rather go to the golf course or the Dollywood or wherever it is that you spend your time. It's inconvenient to stick around for choir practice. It's inconvenient to come back on a Sunday night. It's inconvenient to go out and knock on doors and, and be a part of, of the new mover ministry. It's inconvenient to come to senior saints. It's inconvenient to come to church on Wednesday night. It's inconvenient to work church camp. It's inconvenient to work vacation Bible school. It's inconvenient to get your kids here for the youth things. All these things are inconvenient things. And so if you have made convenience the prevailing principle of your life, it is only a matter of time before you get out of church. Because guess what? Serving God's always inconvenient. Curtis Hudson you say nothing's ever been done for God with spare change or spare time. The truth is you've got to make up your mind that God is worth being inconvenienced. If he's not worth being inconvenienced, then it's just a matter of time and you'll be out of church. Notice a final thing and I'll say a word about this and be done. Look at verse 5. There's a fifth group of people that David has noticed. These people, they seem to stay in church. It's he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. Now, undoubtedly, David has to some degree in mind people that are simply empathetic and compassionate in how they deal with people. But when I begin to think about this in the context of the New Testament church, let's stop and think about the photo negative. He that putteth not out his money to usury. Okay, in the house of God, that would be people that loan to other people so that they might gain a percentage back. That's what, that, that's what usury is. It's interest. And it's got to do with an interconnectedness of relationships. And then he says, nor taketh reward against the innocent. That's to describe someone that accepts a bribe so that they might uh, give a judgment contrary or against another person. In other words, we would say it this way. It has to do with the relationships we have within the context of the house of God. And I would say people that don't stay in church very long are people that are careless in their connections and relationships. I'll tell you something. We're a welcoming church. I believe we are. I mean, y'all let me come here. We're a welcoming church. But a welcoming church has to be a wise church. You listening to me? A welcoming church has to be a wise church. Just because somebody walks through those doors does not mean that they're an upright person. Just because they walk through those doors does not mean that that they are somehow a safe individual. And one of the great dangers and one of the things that will drive people out of church, and I've seen this happen. I remember years ago, and I don't know, maybe it's been enough time. If if you know who I'm talking about, good on you. you got a better memory than I do. Uh, but I remember years ago having an individual that, that came to church here, and this man started a business. And he came to me. He said, Brother Toby, I'm wanting to start a business. And I said, Brother, I'm praying for you. And, uh, I don't know what he wanted with telling me that, but I said, Brother, I'm praying for you. I said, but here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that, uh, you be sure and don't hire anybody that goes here. And he said, Oh, Brother Toby, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. Well, a couple months afterwards, he came back to me when I had gotten word that he had hired three different people in the church. And I sat him down and talked to him. I said, I thought we talked, about, the, oh, Brother Toby, I I prayed about it and everything. I said, well, I hope you have prayed about it. Oh, yeah, Brother Toby, I prayed about it. I prayed about it. I prayed about it. I said, well, okay, you know, you're a grown man. I can't tell you what to do and what not to do. And I pulled those other individuals aside. I said, listen, I think this is a bad idea. I, th- I think I think you're spoiling for a for a bad time. Oh, no, you know, everything's going to work out. I don't know, man, five, six months maybe. Every bit of that had blown to high heavens. I mean, all three had been fired or left of their own accord. There was bitterness, there was anger, there was resentment. And that person who hired all those, sooner or later, eventually he found a reason after he had blown everything to high heavens to move on. Well, what happened? Well, he was careless in his ties to people. I'm not saying, and listen, part of being a, a, we're going to be connected to each other. We go to church with each other. But we better be cautious in our connections to one another. Man, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. David describes these people that put out their money for, for usury. And, and, of course, that also has within it implied the idea of predatory interest rates and things like that. But I'm not even necessarily imputing this individual some ill motive. I'm just saying this. It's a risky thing and people that are cavalier or careless in their connections and ties with people in the house of God that are not circumspect and, are, and don't use discretion, have discernment. What they're doing is opening the door for the explosion of interpersonal relationships. Now, that's not to suggest that we can't never have any connectedness to one another. But it is to say this, we have to be incredibly cautious because just because someone walks through that door, that does not mean that they are uh, upright, that they are dependable, that they are counted on. None of that. I would say this in our ties to people. But then number two, in our treatment of people, he says, nor taketh reward against the innocent. In other words, that would accept a bribe for a false judgment against someone. But let's just abstract that out real broad. People that don't treat people well. Pretty soon they're not going to church anymore. I've seen this personally in my own life. I mean it's one of the great things about church is most of the time, not always, but jerks don't hang around very long. (laughs) I'll have to go with you, Ted, I guess. You know why that is? Because it's it's not long. And I've known people like this in my life. I've known you ever known people that just explosions followed them everywhere they went? It's just drama everywhere they go. Why is that? Well, maybe they're addicted to the drama. Maybe they're just a deeply damaged individual that lacks the humility to stop and examine themselves and consider if indeed they always seem to find themselves at the eye of the hurricane. Maybe they're the ones that's stirring up the winds. But if you're the type of person that is careless in your ties to people, but even beyond your ties, if you're careless in your treatment of people, if we're going to have this thing called church, we have to treat each other well. We have to be good to one another. We don't always succeed at it all the time. We all make mistakes. But if we just go around just lobbing our words and our actions like hand grenades at people, we shouldn't find it to be a, an astonishing thing when it's not long and we're out of the house of God. Say, preacher, what, what's all, what do I do with all this tonight? I'll tell you what you and I both ought to do with it. We ought to take inventory of our life. And we ought to say, is there anything? I mean, I don't think there's anyone that is practicing any of these things here in this room tonight. But it might be there's some of these areas where we've been slipping a little bit. It might be there's some of these areas that we've been a little less cautious than we should have been. It might be there's some of these areas where we've allowed some things in that, that we shouldn't have allowed in. It might be in some of these areas that we're not, <laughs> we're not right out the door. But we've taken a step or two. And tonight is a good night to just say, Lord, help me. It takes work to stay in church. It does. It takes caution. It takes diligence. It takes dedication. You ain't going to accidentally stay faithful to the house of God. The devil makes sure of that. You're going to have to purpose in your heart that you're going to do what's necessary to stay in the house of God. Let's bow together tonight. Musicians going to come and play. and. Listen, there could be a hundred reasons you might need to talk to the Lord tonight. It might be there's somebody that i described that you're burdened for, that you know personally. Uh, Somebody that your heart is hurting for because they're out of the house of God because of one of these things. Or it could be there's some area of your life in which God has touched on. Whatever it is, won't you meet the Lord in the altar? Let Him have His will and way. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.